go. Functional magnetic resonance imaging or functional MRI. What that does, it measures our brain activity by detecting changes associated with our blood flow. And this technique, the fMRI, it relies on our cerebral blood flow and the neuronal activation coupled together. And when an area of the brain is in use, blood flow to that region increases. In fact, there was a study done by Stephen Franklin and Joshua Green, two professors of psychology, that talked about two adjacent brain regions allow humans to build new thoughts. And, and they build new thoughts using something what they described as a form of conceptual algebra. It mimics the operations of what they would talk about is silicon computers that represent variables and their changing values. And they described this in a study, in a paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. That brings me to this. It's called the false dilemma or the false dichotomy. Now that's a logical fallacy. It's more what some people say the black and white fallacy, the either or fallacy, the false dichotomy. And it's a line of reasoning that fails because it limits your options to only two when in fact there are more options to choose from. And sometimes the choices are between one thing, the other thing, or both things altogether. Now they don't exclude each other. Sometimes there could be a whole range of options, three, four, five, maybe even 145. But the false dichotomy makes this error by oversimplifying and sometimes eliminating the entire range of options that are out there. So we look at a definition of religious. Religious means relating to or manifesting faithful devotion to an acknowledged ultimate reality or deity, a religious person or a religious attitude. And a neural theology, neural theologians argue that the structure and function of the human brain predisposes us to believe in God. They claim that the site of God's biological substrate is in the limbic system, deep within the brain, which has long been considered to be the biological center for emotion. In fact, Ron Joseph, a prominent neural theologian, goes a step further, and he suggests that the limbic system is dotted with God neurons and God neurotransmitters. So, in fact, if our beliefs are formed in our brain and they are within the limbic system, the question becomes, can someone take away our beliefs in a God? Can someone give us our beliefs in God? And when we are talking about love, according to our Bibles, if you're a spiritual person, there's a definition in the book of Corinthians. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. 
does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. And then it said it never fails. So let me ask you this. Is fighting for religious freedom in a court of law an example of love? Well, I'm going to say we're not really talking about love or we ain't talking about love. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience. I'm here to educate, inform, and inspire you to use your gifts and talents in the service of others. I ask you to be curious, to inquire, and seek to bring more good into the world. Ain't Talking About Love by Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen wrote this song. Now, he didn't consider it really good enough to be or even to show his bandmates until a year after he wrote it. And he, he, he wrote it to be a song that was supposed to mock punk rock. And that's why he wrote it. But it didn't end up sounding like it was a punk rock song. And the guitar that he actually used, he, he mixed in an electric sitar, which is normally used by uh, Ravi Shaknar is one of the uh, of Indian using meditation music. Would, they would use the, the sitar. But Ain't Talking About Love, the focus of this show, was, again, written by Van Halen, performed by Van Halen. It was released in October of 1978. It was the third single from their debut album, Van Halen. Now, this is one of the songs that David Lee Roth, in one of his songs, before he was replaced by Sammy Hagar, and Sammy Hagar was willing to sing this song. He wouldn't sing all of David Lee Roth's songs, but he did sing this one, Ain't Talking About Love. And Chuck Klosterman of Vulture.com said that Ain't Talking About Love was the 25th best Van Halen song. And he called it powerful and memorable, and I know it's definitive. So that is what we're looking at today, Ain't Talking About Love. In the context of the subject of religious freedom. And when we hear the subject of religious freedom and someone taking your religious freedom, we're not really talking about love. We're, we're talking about maybe more of a, a transactional relationship or a false dilemma, the logical fallacy of a false dilemma. So let's look at the lyrics here. I heard the news, baby, all about your disease. Yeah, you may have all you want, baby, but I got something you need. Ain't talking about love. My love is rotten to the core. Ain't talking about love, just like I told you before. You know you seem good looking and on the streets again? Oh yeah, you think you're really cooking, baby. You better find yourself a friend, my friend. And then the chorus, ain't talking about love. My love is rotten to the core. So you may think that, well, uh, a spiritual relationship someone advocating for freedom of religion is, is grounded in love. Like you would think in a song that a man sings about a woman, that that would be grounded in some sort of love, a, a mutually beneficial, appreciative relationship of each other. But the lyrics suggest that in this instant, in this relationship, the individual isn't talking about love. In fact, the song singer indicts himself said, my love is really rotten to the core. And he's talking about a woman who's on the street. So he's saying to himself, he's admitting that the love that he's advocating is really rotten. So America's history of religious freedom 
When we look at it, we see that it wasn't really always a, a stronghold of religious freedom. So for example, half a century before the pilgrims came on the Mayflower, there were Protestants who were French called Huguenots who started a colony at Fort Caroline, which today is near Jacksonville, Florida. Now the Spanish came along. They were mostly Catholic and they were in Florida. So what did they do? Like good Catholics? Well, they slaughtered the Huguenots. They killed them. The Spanish commander wrote the king that he had hanged the settlers for the scathing, the odious Lutheran doctrine in these provinces. Next thing we have, the Puritans and the Pink Pilgrims arrived in New England in the early 1600s after suffering religious persecution in England. However, the Puritans of Massachusetts Bay Colony, well, they didn't tolerate any opposing religious views either. In fact, they threw the Catholics out of the colony. And the Quakers and other non-Puritans were banned from the colony. Well, wait a minute. Don't we always think when we hear about religious freedom that it's the idea of anti-God versus God? That there are people out there who don't believe in a God, who don't serve a God. Those are the people that we should fear. Those are the people who are, are attacking us or after our belief systems. Well, what does history say? History doesn't show that the atheists came over and were attacking American religious freedom. It wasn't at all. There were a situ this was a situation in history where there were people who believed in God persecuting other people who believed in God. So this is the false dichotomy, this idea that there were non-religious people threatening to take away the freedom of religious people when in fact it was religious people who believed in God taking away the freedoms of other people who believed in God. Then along comes the United States Constitution. Constitution says at the beginning, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So look what it says here. It says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. So first of all, what we have to look at is that there has to be a law that is created around establishing a religion. So Congress, the United States Congress can't and never has instituted a law to create its own religion. That's what it's talking about. So in fact, when we ask ourselves, did the government give us religious freedom? No. Can the government take away our religious freedom? No, it can't. In fact, it says that in the Constitution that it can't, but we also know from where our brain science says that our religious beliefs exist inside of our brain. So can the government come into your brain, go into your limbic system, and take away your belief in God? That's what would have to happen. And we know that that is not a possibility or something that is governed by the laws of the land. But in fact, when you hear individuals talk about the religious freedom being taken or your religious freedom being under attack, or maybe even filing a lawsuit 
and saying, my religious freedom is under attack. Somebody's coming after my religious freedom. Beware someone will may take it. Well, let's look at the scriptures and what does Jesus say about that? He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's in 2 Timothy 3.12. The book of Luke, it says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Luke 6.22. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. John 15, verse 18. So these scriptures aren't proclaiming that a human-based government will honor your beliefs. It's not promised. It's not guaranteed. In fact, the act, exact opposite is said. It says the world's going to hate you. It, it even says it's, it, you're, you're blessed if people hate you. So you've got to ask yourself, if you are saying to others that we are becoming a nation that is making it hostile to practicing my faith. Well, isn't that predicted in the scriptures? In fact, isn't it guaranteed? Doesn't Jesus say that is going to happen? So why do we then fight to hold on to something that is neither given to you by a man or a government, nor can be taken away by a person, or a government? You have to ask yourself that question. You have to look into the scriptures and see if that's true or not. So I'll ask you this. Let me ask you this question. Let's go back to what is love? Well, it's patient, kindness, not easily angered, not keeping a record of wrongs. So when you hear somebody say, be afraid of this individual because they're going to take your religious freedom. Well, let's go back. In the Constitution, it says Congress cannot pass a law around the establishment of religion. So let me ask you this question. Is religious freedom on the ballot? Well, there's five things that have to happen. Number one, every law starts with an idea. Number two, the bill is introduced. Three, the bill goes to the committee. Four, Congress debates and votes. And five, there's presidential action. So if somebody is telling you that our religious freedom is going to be taken away, the easiest way to check that is to go to the website of the U.S. Congress and look for a bill. And if you find a bill that says, Religion is being taken away. You can know, first of all, that that's against the Constitution. And you know, second of all, that it's not true. It's a false dichotomy. It's a non-existent threat. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. D during the pandemic, they're taking our freedom because we can't worship where we want to worship. Again, false dichotomy. The idea of a false dichotomy is that it presents only two options and it ex excludes other options. So there are other options available. Just because you don't want to do said option does not cancel out the existing options that are available. 
So you have to admit that there are other options out there. There are other ways to worship. And what we know from brain science and neurotheology is that our religious beliefs exist within inside our limbic systems. So the option is your belief system cannot be intruded upon by another person. So it's a non-existent threat. So what can we choose to do? Well, you can choose kindness. The actual four things, four things in, we can say about what is love is patience, which is the able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Perhaps you're annoyed and anxious when you hear people, non people who don't practice spirituality, hearing people being mean in the name of a deity. Well, we know that that's been done in history, so it's nothing new. Kindness. We can practice kindness, and that's the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. In fact, kindness is a great virtue to choose anyway. The Australian School of Business, a researcher, Christina Bodeckler, did a study of over 5,600 people in 77 organizations, and she found that business practices, businesses that practice compassionate behavior, and a leader who practice compassionate behavior has the highest relationship with productivity and profitability. And she said that this is the ability to understand people's motivators, hopes, and difficulties. And when you do that, you create a support mechanism that allows people to be as good as they can be. And people who want people to lead them have their best interests at heart. They reward that behavior with greater loyalty and greater effort. So there it is right there. Kindness leads to greater productivity and greater profitability in an organization. So you don't even have to be a spiritual person, but the science and data backs up being kind. Now, spirituality is a positive part of life. So if you're out there, don't make it toxic. Because when you make it toxic, you turn people away from it. Practice doing good. Practice putting good into the world. And you may disagree with the way a person lives their individual life. But that disagreement will not manifest in you losing your religious beliefs. Because guess what? They exist in your brain. They weren't given to you by the government. They can't be taken away from, from you by the government. So you have other options. So say no to the false dilemma and say yes to love. This has been the Stephen Thompson experience. And this is Stephen Thompson. And this has been my experience. My goal is to get you to ask questions, to be curious, to dig deep, to be generous, Disagreement doesn't have to be hateful. It doesn't have to be mean. Let's put more good into the world. Thank you and have a great week. Bye-bye.